From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the case for intracameral antibiotics, part two. We wonder whether topical antibiotic drops really add anything. First this. This year's ASCRS annual symposium was great. I learned a lot that I'm applying to my practice right now. If I have any complaint, it's that I couldn't get to all the sessions I wanted to because some of them overlapped. That's why I'm so excited about the new ASCRS Media Center. More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. This is part two of my interview with Neil Shorstein about intracameral antibiotics during cataract extraction. We pick up where we left off last time. Were there any adverse events that you observed that were related to cefiroxy, moxifloxacin, or vancomycin uh, intracameral um, injection? With over, now it's over 20,000 injections uh, since 2007. We've had no adverse reactions or events reported. And we have a very robust uh, reporting uh, procedures in Kaiser Permanente. Um, And so I feel very confident uh, that that number of zero is quite accurate. Now, bear in mind that we have a licensed compounding pharmacy on site at, uh, at our venue of uh, performing surgeries. So we have a licensed pharmacist with the compounding license, as I mentioned, um, uh, diluting these uh, antibiotics on the morning of surgery. Each morning, the, the pharmacist comes in with the technician, and between the two of them, uh, they look at the slate of patients for the day, they note which patients are, aller- are allergic to which medicines, and they compound the antibiotics and prepare them uh, by the time the surgeons arrive uh, to the OR for surgery. And they prepare them in little one milliliter vials, and, and those are refrigerated until they're sent to the operating center, in which case they're refrigerated then at that point as well until they're ready for the patient to go into the operating room. How do your data compare with those of the ESCRS study? Our data is very comparable. Uh, The uh, initial rate in the study period in 2007 was very similar to the baseline rate in the ESCRA study. And our uh, rate during 2008 and 2009, when we were using intracameral cefuroxime alone, our intervention rate was, again, very comparable to the ESCRIS uh, intervention rate, slightly slightly higher infection rate, but I think in the ballpark. And then with our 2010 and 2011 uh, time period, where we were, u- we, we were using intracameral antibiotics in all patients, um, our rate was extremely low. It was really lower than the ESCRIS rate because we had a different protocol. And in fact, it's really the lowest endothermitis rate I think I can recall seeing in the literature. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's quite low. Now, I should also add that there were 
three of us, and one including myself, who back in 2007, uh, we took the ESCRA study really to heart, as well as the Swedish studies, saying that, well, we have good evidence for intracameral antibiotics, but there really isn't solid evidence for the use of topical antibiotics. So three of us decided to stop using topical antibiotics before or after surgery in our uncomplicated patients, so our patients who had perfect surgery with no posterior capsule rupture, and only used intracameral cefuroxime during the initial periods, and then uh, either cefuroxime, moxie, or vancomycin, depending upon their allergies in the last period. And our rate, we had about 2,000 cases, and of those 2,000 cases, there was only one case of uh, endophthalmitis, and that's a rate of about uh, 1 in 2,000. And that rate is very comparable to the rates published in Sweden, again, uh, because it's very similar. Their use of intracameral cefuroxime uh, with no topical antibiotics before or after surgery. So we have a similar similar protocol to the Swedish study and a similar endophthalmitis rate for those cases that we use intracameral antibiotics alone. Now, one other interesting finding that was similar between our study and the ESCRA study is that the patients who were injected with cefuroxime, those that did suffer an infection of endophthalmitis, there were four, uh, three of those four had 2030 visual outcome, visual outcome of 2030 uh, once their endophthalmitis was treated. Uh, the one patient who had 2070 uh, had pre existing uh, wet macular degeneration, so it's kind of hard to compare apples to apples with that patient. So this was comparable to the ESCRA study, which showed that patients who received intracameral cefuroxime. Uh, had a better visual outcome and also uh, had less uh, cases of uh, culture positive endophthalmitis. So I guess the take home is, is not only does intracameral, not only do intracameral antibiotics reduce the incidence of infection, if you, if you do get an infection, your outcome is, is better. Neil, in the context of this, this study, different patients received, as, as you said, different drugs. In your practice now, uh, barring allergy, um, which antibiotic are you injecting at the end of surgery? We've got all of our bases covered now. I can't think of a single patient that has not received an intracameral antibiotic. Uh, the our Go-to drug is cefuroxime, so that's our drug by default. So if the patient is not allergic to penicillin or a cephalosporin, they're going to get cefuroxime. Um, and then if the patient is allergic to a penicillin or cephalosporin, then they'll get moxifloxacin. And if they're allergic to a, a, a quinolone, for, a, a fluoroquinolone, then they'll get vancomycin. And I I have not run across one patient who has not who has been allergic to all three classes of antibiotics. So our patients now receive an intracameral antibiotic of some sort in the order that I've just uh, uh, reported to you. Now, 
there are two of us still in the group. One of, one of us is retired, but two of us who were injecting intracamerals and using no pre-op or post-op antibiotic drops continue to do so. The remainder of our group is, still continues to use their usual drops, whatever they feel most comfortable with. Most of the group is using gadifloxacin drops after surgery. And here's, here's something that we actually looked at as well. Um, when In 2007, when our endophthalmitis rate was relatively high, and that's what caused us to undergo the practice change, uh, a bunch of us in the group who were using, uh, well, all of us were using perioperative drops at that point. A number of us were using tobramycin uh, because there really wasn't a lot out there in the literature on reducing the risk of endophthalmitis based on the drops. It, it's most of the reports discuss the ocular flora and culturing the flora on the conjunctiva or on the eyelid after using the drops. So it's a little bit different than looking at endophthalmitis rate. But because of the increase in 2007 of infection cases, a bunch of us switched from tobramycin to gadifloxacin. There were reports that gadifloxacin had a better penetration into, into the anterior chamber, and it was broader spectrum. Uh, after so between 2007 and 2008, uh, there were about six of us that switched from tobramycin to gadifloxacin, and I thought, well, gee, maybe the the reduction in cases between 2007 and the period of 2008 and 2009 was not due to the uh, adoption of intracameral cefuroxime, but was actually due to switching a lot of our surgeons switching from tobramycin to gadifloxacin. But what we found was once that initial switch was made, the use of gadifloxacin stayed very stable uh, into 2010 and 2011. So the big drop that we observed was not in endophthalmitis cases, was not between 2007 and 2008-9. That was a drop of about twofold in cases. The big drop was between 2008-2009 and 2010-2011. We saw a 20-fold drop in infections uh, between those two periods. And the, the use of gadifloxacin between those two time periods was the same. So we couldn't explain that, that drop in infections based on increasing adoption of gadifloxacin topical drops. The only thing that we could really see was the uh, 100% adoption of intracameral antibiotics uh, in every patient that we operate on. So right now, I still, I still do what I've been doing for the last five years. I use intracameral, either cefuroxime, moxie, or vanco in every single patient. I don't use any preoperative antibiotics. I don't use any other intraoperative antibiotics. I don't use any postoperative antibiotics. They just get the intracameral injection. If a patient is undergoing corneal relaxing incisions, because I'm doing an extra incision, or if they sustain a posterior capsular rupture, and we know that the incidence of endophthalmitis uh, increases substantially with a posterior capsular rupture, then I will uh, go ahead and prescribe uh, topical gadifloxacin uh, drops after surgery. Uh, I just want to give them the extra benefit uh, in case there's any added benefit to the topical drops. I'm not convinced there is, uh, 
Um, but we really haven't studied the complicated surgeries enough yet to really discern whether uh, I feel confident about completely stopping drops in complicated cases. Neil, do you know how the moxifloxacin is is prepared for for surgery? I mean, is it literally drawn up from a from a Vigamox bottle? In the case of moxifloxacin, there have been reports in the literature over the last few years of uh, drawing it directly from the bottle. There's a particular brand called Vigamox that has no additional uh, preservatives, and uh, a series is or two has been published with uh, drawing it directly out of the bottle and injecting uh, 0.05 mils, so that's a half of a tenth of a cc, so it's a very small amount, and that comes out to be about 250 microliters into the anterior chamber. Uh, we use we dilute our moxifloxacin uh, one part to four parts BSS, and we inject a tenth of a milliliter into our anterior chamber. But I think if diluting and compounding is a concern, and I think it can be for people who are operating in um, clinic-based procedure rooms and, and uh, standalone surgery centers that don't have the benefit of a compounding pharmacy that's attached, then I think that that really provides a... Uh, an easy way of injecting moxifloxacin. So you you draw up um, however much you want, whether it's a tenth of a cc or two tenths of a cc, and then only inject uh, 0.05 cc's into the anterior chamber at the end of surgery after you're finished and you know that the wound is has uh, been hydrated if that's what you do. That's what I always do. Uh, and you want to leave that 0.05 milliliters of the moxie undiluted uh, into the anterior chamber. And studies have shown that there was one tissue culture study in particular that's shown that that, that concentration is safe. Uh, so that's an easy way of injecting moxifloxacin. Um, what someone has emailed me from Chicago, a surgeon, corneal surgeon from the Chicago area, uh, and what he does is he prescribes the moxifloxacin to the patient uh, they bring in their unopened bottle. Uh, he opens it, draws out what he's going to inject uh, intracamerally at the end of surgery, and then he returns the bottle to the patient for them to use following the surgery because that's his usual practice is to use drops after the surgery. As the ESCRA study has shown, intracameral antibiotics work. We, we, we've experienced that firsthand, and we think it, it works best when they're used 100% of the time. Uh, and, you know, we wonder whether topical antibiotic drops really add anything. We um, have been awarded a multi-year NIH uh, and also National Eye Institute's uh, grant to study uh, the various uses of uh, preoperative, intraoperative, and postoperative uh, antibiotics uh, at Kaiser Permanente. So we'll be doing that over the next two years. Uh, we hope to have an answer as to uh, whether we think uh, topical antibiotic drops are adding anything. Uh, but I think the take-home is that, uh, you know, if at all possible, uh, we, we really would uh, urge uh, our uh, fellow surgeons in the ophthalmic community to adopt uh, the use of intracameral antibiotics. Neil, thank you so much. Great. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to share our work.
Neil Shorstein comes to us from the Department of Ophthalmology at Kaiser Permanente in Walnut Creek, California. His paper, Decreased Postoperative Endophthalmitis Rate After Institution of Intracameral Antibiotics in a Northern California Eye Department, appears in the January 2013 issue of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded, and there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting, anytime you want, and it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center, or better yet, Join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package or, better yet, Join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price. Ask questions of Dr. Shorstein or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jungmd at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.